Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Crypto Entrepreneurs Podcast with your host, Charles. Enjoy. What is up, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Crypto Entrepreneurs Podcast. As always, it's your host, Charles, and today we've got another great one for you. So I'm going to be sitting down with Tal. He's actually the co-founder of the Orbs blockchain. And today we are going to be talking about why he thinks that startups, not these huge enterprises, are key to adoption and the spread of cryptocurrencies. But before we get into all of that, I do just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors. You guys know the drill. The first is Roundly X. I've been using their service for close to two months now, and it has been fantastic. How it works is you link your credit or debit cards, and with each purchase, they round it up to the next dollar and invest that spare change into Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency of your choosing. It's kind of like the acorns of crypto, and it's a very easy, hands-off, stress-free way to dollar cost average and grow your stack. If you haven't signed up already, you've now missed out on two months of accumulation. So head to the link in the description below, create an account, link those cards, start dollar cost averaging today. The second is CoinFlex, and I am extremely excited about what they've got going on. You know, apart from the normal stuff that I talk about, like having some of the lowest, if not the lowest fees in the market, depending on how much flex you own, and also flex staking being live, they're paying out $10 in USDT per thousand flex you own per month. I've already been paid out twice. The most important thing and what I'm most excited for is these bracket order competitions. Like I've been saying, they're giving away $10,000 a day, They already ran one last week and they're running more this week. 10 grand a day. If you haven't signed up already, you're late to the party. Go sign up right now. There's a link in the description below. And lastly, they're also giving you the opportunity to create your own competitions. You can set the parameters. You can choose if there's prize money at the end and you actually get to keep a small portion of the trading fees from the competition. I'm going to be setting one up for myself. I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know what the parameters are going to be, but I'm going to be giving away like 500 bucks to a thousand bucks to the winner. And you're only eligible to participate if you have signed up with the link in the description below. So again, before this episode starts, head on over, create that account. Now let's get into the episode with Tal. So, Tal, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time. Do you think, Uh, sorry, um, before we really get into kind of adoption of cryptocurrencies, what you're doing in the industry, can you just give us a little bit of background on yourself and what you were doing before you found crypto? uh, Yeah, so I've been an entrepreneur for many years. I've been actually before crypto, I've been an entrepreneur for about seven years. 
I had three companies. The first one failed miserably. The second one broke even, which, as everybody knows, is a failure as well. <laughs> uh, and the third one was, was kind of successful. Uh, I managed to sell it. It was a startup uh, that had to do with a mobile app platform, and I sold it to Wix. Um, uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, and then I was spent about four and a half years at Wix uh, as head of mobile engineering. Um, so that's what I did before crypto. Wow. Okay. Congratulations. I, I love that you are an entrepreneur through and through. I think everyone who's been on my show has had some sort of failure in the past. So you said you failed, you broke even, and then you were very successful. And I think that- Not, not very, I would say moderately successful. <laughs> okay. You're very modest. I, and still, I, I like that. It's still a small, it was a small startup. But so you, it, I mean, small. you sold it to Wix. So it's, you know, there's, there's something yeah, there. Yeah. That's, it's a notch on the belt. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Of course. So huge congratulations there. And then eventually you found your way to crypto. Um, so when we talked prior to this conversation, we were talking about kind of adoption and how we can push adoption and who's kind of pushing adoption the most. Um, so before we really get into it, can you can you just talk to us about why you think crypto hasn't gone full mainstream yet? I feel like we're right at the cusp of it but it's not something that everybody is talking about. Well, so so I think we have two worlds here. We have kind of like the more general world of blockchain and we have the more specific world of cryptocurrencies. Uh, and, and, and I think that these world, worlds are connected and both of them are gonna do some sort of disruption. Uh, I think the world of crypto is, is a bit, you know, difficult for the world to cope with because, you know, assets and currencies and stuff like that is something that is very heavily regulated. Uh, you know, it's money and governments don't want to, you know, let go of how this stuff works, you know, KYC, uh, money laundering, stuff like that. So I think it's moving slowly in the progress of regulation. Uh, so if I look at most of the innovation in this space in the, you know, assets or currency space right now, I think most of the effort and innovation is actually regulatory. Uh, you know, stuff like what Facebook is doing, uh, you know, to try and get regulators figuring out how, you know, currencies can be worked out at scale uh, and influence billions of people. And this is a very difficult problem to solve. Um, I think the other side of, of, of is also very interesting. You know, how will blockchain influence our daily lives? Uh, and blockchain is tied very strongly to cryptocurrencies because permissionless public blockchain uh, has to rely on some sort of a token economy in order to thrive. Uh, that's where you get the permissionless aspect. Uh, and, and we've seen visions like the Web3 vision of how, you know, blockchain and decentralization is going to change everything. And people promised us, you know, we're going to have decentralized Ubers in a few years from now. And we're going to break up all the monopolies. And I think we've, we've been disillusioned, uh, you know, with this vision. Uh, and we see that we don't have decentralized Ubers out there and we don't have decentralized advertising and the ICO hype has kind of died down. And, and I think what's stopping us there is actually the business model. Uh, I think decentralized companies, DAOs, are very problematic. Uh, it's very difficult for them to compete with actual products, you know, centralized products like Uber. Um, but I do think that decentralization and blockchain will find a way to change our lives. And it's not gonna be through, you know, disrupting everything and building Web3 you know, tearing down the existing web and building a new one, I think it will actually come from getting those huge companies like Uber to adopt it. Uh, so we're going to, you know, make the existing web better and not, uh, you know, like 
build a new one. I think that is kind of like a dream that will not come true. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of people got caught up in the hype of things, especially in 2017. A lot of projects right. overpromised, underdelivered, um, and I think you're right on the kind of back end of things where blockchain is used by these already large existing companies. That's where we're going to see huge adoption. And um, I recently saw a Forbes article. It was it mentioned that like 50 percent of the top billion dollar, like 100. Uh, top hundred billion dollar businesses or something like that are already building on Ethereum or developing some sort of blockchain solutions. So I think we're well on our way there um, on that aspect of things. You also talked about regulation being a huge issue to overcome. And that's where these large corporations like Facebook play a very important role. Uh, but when we talked, uh, I think we kind of shared the same idea that these smaller startups are what are really going to push for or are really going to push adoption. Um, and that's how we're going to kind of bring this to the mainstream. Uh, so you talk about the kind of larger you know, corporations and people that are pushing for it. Now, how do you see these smaller startups, you know, pushing the bounds of adoption uh, and really getting this into everybody's lives? Well, so so I actually think that you know the startups that are gonna hit hard with you know be successful with adoption, are actually not the ones who do financial things. Uh, I think financial things are gonna move much much slowly, and the regulators are gonna be very cautious by how large they're gonna let it become. So I think non-financial use cases will actually become bigger faster, uh, and I think it's all about finding the interesting problems that that are will be considered the killer apps. And I think this is kind of where the space has been really struggling with, you know, what is the killer app of blockchain? You know, you ask people, like, why do you need blockchain in your lives? And nobody has a clue. I think this is a big problem. So some of them that may say, you know, we want a currency that we, con that we control, but this is going to move slowly because of regulation. But what other things beside currencies are going to change your lives? And, and I think nobody has a very good answer. Um, and, and I think, you know, the maturity of the space is, the time that is taking us to understand the use cases and understand the impact on our lives. Uh, and, I'm, I'm, and I can give you like one big use case right now that is important to your lives and blockchain is going to play a very key part in solving. Uh, and this is, for example, fake news. Um, you know, fake news and fake information. Everything on the internet is fake. Uh, we have a very big problem with this, you know, mass information that is being fed up to everybody and we have very little control of, and, and we can see, you know, the conspiracy theories of, of foreign governments influencing, influencing decisions inside our countries. And nobody can do anything about it. Nobody knows how to stop it. Um, you know, it's in the age of information, and, and, and information is very hard to authenticate. Uh, it's a very, very big problem. Uh, you know, take a look, for example, at deep fakes. You know, we can create videos with AI that nobody can actually tell the difference between them and what people actually said and actually did in the videos. Uh, so how is the world going to handle, you know, you know this in the next few years? Uh, you've seen these things influencing elections in the U.S. Uh, it's actually very, very frightening. Um, and, and I do think that blockchain will end up playing a very, very key part in solving these problems and, and showing us, you know, a lot of value. Uh, in giving us trust. I think trust is a fundamental problem that we are all facing. And trust is a problem not on, only in financial realms. It's, it's, it's a problem in the age of information. It's a general huge problem. 
Yeah, so two two kind of sides to this. There's the financial side, like you were saying, which kind of is a very slow moving thing. You're not going to overthrow or change a monetary system over the course of a couple years. Um, and then you talked about the other side of things, which is kind of bringing blockchain to everyday life, and that is through real use cases. Uh, one of the big ones you touched on there was fake news. Um, and I think there are lots of use cases for it out there. I feel like we're just at a very early point where people are trying to figure out, you know, is this a use case? Is it a not? Will it help pr improve people's lives or will it not? Uh, and I think that everyone was going crazy originally. This is going to be the next big thing. This is going to help improve people's lives in a number of different ways. We've kind of seen that that's not the case yet. Uh, and so we've kind of toned it down, brought it back, and now we are looking for these real use cases, fake news being one of them. Um, so I, I do see that these kind of startups are going to be pushing the smaller side of things. I, I say smaller, I don't know if that's the best word I would say, uh, but the financial as aspect of things is something that will be done on a long time scale. It's these smaller guys that are pushing for you know, the everyday use. Um, on that side of things, you know, that's one side of things. I also did want to talk about, you know, the other, the, the flip side of things um, with regards to cryptocurrencies that are already out there, like Bitcoin, uh, because I feel like there's kind of been this lull. People aren't as interested as they once were. And in my opinion, these small businesses and these startups are really what's going to put, you know, the idea of Bitcoin and the, you know, get everybody involved uh, on a large scale. And I kind of wanted to discuss that as well. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, uh, but how do you see the small businesses that are currently in the space pushing the adoption of Bitcoin itself? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So, so first of all, I think Bitcoin is, is like is a challenge onto itself. Like what is the app there? What is the product? And like, is this a currency? Are you supposed to buy coffee with Bitcoin? Or is Bitcoin really digital gold? Is this like a store value? And I think that these two aspects of it don't play very nicely with each other. Uh, if you go into the direction of being a very good currency, you're not going to be a very good form of gold. And, and I actually personally believe that Bitcoin is a great store of value. It's a great you know, replacement for gold. Gold is actually very problematic because gold is not very scarce. Um, you know, it's very easy to dig up gold and, you know, very soon, eventually, we're going to have, you know, people mining asteroids out there and those asteroids going to have more precious metals than the entire amount of precious metals on Earth. And when this happens, the entire precious metal market is going to collapse. Uh, so I do think that Bitcoin is the first real solution uh, we've seen for scarcity that is proven and guaranteed. And there is no asset like it uh, out there. And this is very, very interesting. This is a very interesting property. And I think this is like the most successful property of Bitcoin. I don't see Bitcoin being successful as a currency at all. Uh, I don't think that anyone is going to let it be successful because it's missing out on so many important things for, you know, the modern um, currency ecosystem, which is, you know, KYC and AML and stuff like that. And it's very hard um, to, to pin these things on Bitcoin. Uh, I'll give you an example. You know, what people ask, like, what is the biggest weapon that the United States has? Like, 
how does, you know, I, I spent, I, I live in Israel, uh, I, I didn't mention this earlier, and I spent uh, more than five years in the military, actually, as a military officer in military intelligence. Uh, so I actually know quite a lot about terrorism and how this stuff works in the world. And, and like, what is the greatest weapon against terror we have in the world today? And, and this is the U.S. dollar. You know, the economy is the biggest gun that the U.S. has today. And the ability to press stop and be able to seize assets and do stuff like that, this is a crucial tool that any government has in fighting whatever it needs to fight. And, and Bitcoin go, goes against this um, in a sense that nobody can take your Bitcoins. Like nobody can seize your assets. And this is an important property for decentralization. Don't get me wrong. I personally think it's important. But the government is never going to let go of this ability to seize assets because it's too important for you know, the survival of um, our way of life, <laughs> in a sense. Uh, and I do think that certain cryptocurrencies out there are actually a risk for democracy. Uh, I'll give you an example with, you know, all the privacy-oriented ones like Zcash. Uh, so they are super interesting. You know, the math properties of them are amazing. And they're huge innovations uh, in terms of privacy. And I think that people do have the right for privacy. But it, they also propose a very big problem in a sense that people that you want to keep out of the economic system. For example, I don't know, North Korea. There is a consensus in the West that North Korea uh, is problematic to deal with. Uh, and you want to have sanctions on North Korea because that's a modern way of doing war. And you can't do sanctions with Zcash. You actually don't know if, who you're dealing with, and, and, and there's no way to know. And I think this is a problem, and, and it couldn't get big just because of that. Um, so, so, so I think we're going to see very you know, more modest implementations of currencies that will give governments control. Uh, for example, I think Facebook Libra. Uh, so, so the government doesn't like Facebook Libra yet. Um, but if you look closely at the implementation of how it works, you see that they gave the government a very big red stop button. They can seize assets on Facebook Libra. It's not fully decentralized. Uh, so these things can work, but they're not nearly as disruptive as Bitcoin. Completely agree. Uh, you know, I, I think Bitcoin, it started as a currency. It has slowly evolved into something else. And I don't see an issue with that. I think the store of value that people see Bitcoin as now, it solves a huge problem. Like you were saying, gold is not very scarce. It is very hard to transport. It is heavy. It takes up a lot of space. There are things that Bitcoin solves on that end of things. As a currency, it's just a nightmare for governments. And so I, I very much agree with you. Uh, but the reason I originally asked this question was because I think that as a whole, uh, you know, cryptocurrencies as a whole, I think Bitcoin is a great introduction to it all. And I think that's what kind of starts the people say, oh, I went down the rabbit hole, right? They heard about Bitcoin first and they started exploring other currencies. You know, what exactly blockchain is? the whole shebang, right? And so I think that a great way to kind of spread adoption, get the ball rolling, is to get people introduced to Bitcoin specifically. And then from there, people will start to explore other options. So when you talk about, you know, I wanted this episode to be about, you know, how small businesses and startups can kind of, are at the forefront of adoption and how they're spreading it and how they're going to bring it into, you know, everyday life for everybody. Uh, and so that was why I asked that question and kind of 
you know, the small businesses talking and accepting Bitcoin and, you know, kind of spreading the message gets people involved, which then, you know, leads yeah. them down the rabbit hole. I agree, but like I, I disagree as well. Uh, I, I think, you know, the big service that Bitcoin did us all is prove to us and the world that the technology is working, that decentralization is working. You know, it's a it's a proof that over 10 years and it stores a lot of value in it, a lots, lots of money. You know, the value there is immense and the incentive to steal it is immense. And the fact that nobody controls it and the protocol did not change in the course of these 11 years uh, is mind blowing. Uh, so this is the greatest proof that we can have very big apps that influence our lives that are completely decentralized. I think this is amazing. Uh, but I, I think it will be very difficult for small businesses to push the Bitcoin message uh, because I think Bitcoin is actually not very useful for them. Uh, it's very hard to be paid as a business with Bitcoin. Uh, I do think that, you know, the scalability of Bitcoin is going to be problematic. And I think, you know, the tax issues with Bitcoin, it's going to be very difficult to bring lots of Bitcoin into the monetary system in, in, in mass. You know, right now, it's still very, very tiny. Uh, you know, the companies dealing with Bitcoin are a very, very small fraction of, of how much money there is in the world today. Uh, and in some countries, you can't bring Bitcoin into the regular banking system. For example, where I live in Israel, you can't take Bitcoin and put it in your bank account. You, the banks won't let you. Uh, so I think we're going to see like these barriers to adoption are going to, you know, prevent uh, small businesses from really pushing the message, unfortunately. Okay. I, I can't agree with that. Um, what, what do you think is going to be the catalyst then? I, I know we kind of discussed it, but uh, break it down as small as possible. Where do you think you know, who's pushing adoption, you know, the most right now? How is this going to become, how, how are we going to get, you know, cryptocurrencies, maybe Bitcoin, maybe not? Uh, how are we going to get everyone using blockchain technology? How are we going to implement it into everybody's lives? As simple as you can put it. Well, I think, you know, you have to look at the companies who have over 100 million users. Like, that's where you start. Okay. And very fortunately to us all, we have quite a lot of these companies, uh, quite a few, actually taking a lot of interest in cryptocurrencies uh, and in uh, blockchain. Uh, so let's get, name a few examples. Facebook, we've mentioned uh, Telegram, like amazing what they're doing. Telegram have a few hundreds of millions of users. So they have been immensely successful in educating. And once they launch, and I hope that they will, uh, I think they will bring this message to many, many people. Uh, I think Kick kind of failed. Uh, they were not as successful as they hoped to be. Uh, so they kind of like a little bit disappeared, uh, but that was a nice start. Um, and I, th I think we'll see others. Uh, you know, we work a lot in Korea. I think I see Samsung doing a lot of work uh, in crypto. Like, did you know that the newest Samsung Galaxy phones come with a crypto wallet inside? Like, this is insane. Samsung has a reach to billions of people. Um, and, you know, like, like like the Android is, is the most widely used operating system out there in mobile, and Samsung is the biggest brand there. Um, so to bring crypto wallets to these, you know, to the consumers, it, this is mind blowing. And the fact that companies like Samsung are actively doing this is is very nice. So I think that these are the names that are going to bring, you know, crypto and blockchain to be household names. Got it. So so how. How does the little guy fit into this? Because I feel like when we discussed this prior to the episode starting, 
uh, your mindset, or at least, you know, when Leslie and I talked, it was that the startups are what is, you know, at the forefront of adoption. So how do they fit into this? Was I, maybe I was just, uh, maybe there was a misunderstanding. Well, I think no, no, not a misunderstanding, but we see we have two sides of this. Uh, there is the infrastructure side and, and the product side. Um, so as an infrastructure provider, I think startups uh, kind of like Orbs, the startup that I'm founding, uh, that I've founded, uh, they are on the forefront of infrastructure, of decentralized blockchain infrastructure to give for other companies to work on. Uh, because if you look on the infrastructure front, and you see all the big names like Amazon, like um, Microsoft, uh, IBM, and you look at what they are doing with blockchain, you can see that almost entirely of what they're doing is just building permission solutions. And anyone who's into blockchain will tell you that permissionless is the future. The public blockchain, the decentralized blockchain is the future. This is where the disruption is, not on the private blockchain, the permissioned one. Uh, you know, there's zero innovation there. We've had these systems 40 years ago. Uh, so all the disruption is happening on the infrastructure side is being created by startups, kind of like what I do. Uh, so I think this is, you know, who's pushing the infrastructure front. But it's very important to understand that the product front, you know, the people who work with the consumers themselves, you know, with the people at home, these are not the startups because startups don't have the reach to billions of people, uh, unfortunately. Uh, so like the path that I'm seeing is that infrastructure startup is going to work with a large company like Uber or Twitter and through them, you know, get the message across to the consumer at home, but not directly. There we go. So it's, it's a very, you guys are working very much in tandem. Uh, you guys are building the infrastructure, which can then be used by these large corporations who are very public facing, who have the reach and can get it out to millions, if not billions of people. Um, exactly. That, that's perfectly right. And if you ask me what's my message, uh, you know, what, what's my mission, sorry, in life is basically to educate, but not the consumer at home, to educate the CDOs of um, Silicon Valley, <laughs> pretty much. There we go. Okay, yeah, because I, I feel like there are a lot of people in our industry who think, you know, yes, they've got the next best thing, and they're going to bring it to every household. And I feel like it's a little bit unrealistic, uh, but I feel like you and Orbs, you guys kind of have the right idea where you're going to build it, you're going to let the bigger companies get it out there, uh, which is kind of the perfect way to do things. Um, so thank you for kind of walking us through how you see adoption happening over the next whatever many years uh, and what you're kind of working on now. Can you just give us what you're most excited for in the next year? Because I've had a lot of people on lately and I feel like I, I personally believe we are on the cusp of something very big in honestly the coming year. Uh, there's been a lot of building in the background over the last two years since we hit our high. Uh, and I think things are really starting to come to fruition. So I think we're going to see some very big things in the coming year. Uh, and you're someone who's kind of working on the infrastructure and at the forefront of things. So can you talk to us about what you're most excited for? Um, yeah. Uh, so actually, I, I, I know that many people talk about uh, trading and stuff like that. And they're very excited about, you know, is Bitcoin going to go up and stuff like that. And, and I have to say that I'm very not excited in this front. Uh, 
I, I, I am a believer in Bitcoin. I actually own uh, Bitcoin myself uh, quite a lot. And, and, and I'm, a, I'm a big believer in Bitcoin in the long term. But I see Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency market as a long term thing. I, I don't see like huge things happening there in the next year, unfortunately. Uh, what I am very passionate about is seeing, you know, the big names, like the big companies starting to do real work with blockchain. And unfortunately, most of the work that is being done today, I don't want to say it's not real, but it's not nearly as close to what I want to see. Uh, you know, for example, I've seen an announcement about a year ago from Microsoft and Starbucks that are doing provenance of coffee over blockchain. I don't know if you've heard that one. And, and, and I thought, okay, this is beautiful. Why? Because, you know, they bring blockchain and trust to the consumer and they explain, you know, to the mass markets why it's important. Um, but then you look into what they're building and you see that they kind of like missed out the whole point. Why? Because everything that they built is private. Everything is permissioned. Everything is still centralized. So I do think that the entire corporate world, the enterprise world, is not using public blockchain today. They're using private blockchain. This misses the point. Over the next year, what I hope to see and what I'm very excited about is to start seeing these enterprises, these huge companies, building stuff over public blockchain, building stuff over Ethereum, building stuff over orbs. And I think this is going to be mind-blowing uh, because we haven't seen public blockchain used at all at scale. I think we're going to start seeing that. There we go. Okay, so I mean, as someone who is building the infrastructure, you have a very long-term view of things, and I think that's the right way to do it. Uh, so you're saying, okay, maybe not in the next year, but in the coming years, you think there's going to be a lot of a lot of stuff going on. Um, the reason I think that you know the, this next coming year is going to be huge for our industry is that I think price very much affects the number of people that are getting involved in the interest in the industry, and I think mm -hmm. that we are potentially we will see a large increase in price due to the halving. I could be very wrong there. That is all speculation, of course. But I think with an increase in price, uh, it kind of brings the interest back to things and it gets eyes on it. Um, and you did talk about, you know, people building on on Ethereum and Orbs. I, a lot of people are currently doing this. Um, that article that I was talking about, that was actually specifically on Ethereum. Um, mm -hmm. And so, I, you know, the, the infrastructure side of things, I can't say that I am extremely focused on it. You probably see more of the quote-unquote background stuff and what's going on behind the scenes um, but I do think we are kind of starting to make that move companies are exploring blockchain in a way that can be you know helpful to the consumer um, and, and it's a slow process so I like your thinking on the fact that you know maybe it's not this next year but in the coming years there's going to be this large shift um, Again, I, I do see some stuff happening with price. I, I, a lot of people that come on are price-oriented and focused on price. Uh, so that's why I like to ask that question. Um, but okay, so you know, next couple years are going to be big in your opinion. Um, well, well, I do hope that, you know, that, that the price goes up. Of course, of course. As somebody <laughs> who holds Bitcoin, I, I'm, I'm sure exactly. you, you would like uh, the price to go up. And I, I own Bitcoin, yes. and one of the reasons I'm excited for it is, you know, I see it as an investment. So I, I try not to lose, you know, focus or, I mean, lose sight of reality, you know. I, I, yes, <laughs> and I have to tell you that, that I don't look at the price of Bitcoin. Okay. Like when I got the Bitcoin, I said, like, I'm going into this, like, in, in a years-long mentality. 
It's like, I believe in this long-term as a replacement for gold. And I know that the price is very volatile and it's very scary to see what happens in the market. You see one big whale moving around and they can influence the price greatly. And I think this is very scary to work in a, in a, in a space where, you know, somebody else's ambitions can influence the price that much. Um, so I think we're seeing a lot of that still, like a lot of the price action that we see is, is still manipulation of some sort. Uh, but I do see like in, in the greatest, like in the greater scheme of things that, 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 that Bitcoin is adding very something very significant to the world economy. There we go. And yeah, you're, I mean, you're right. We're still extremely early. There are a huge, a few very large players who can influence price, you know, in a ridiculous way. Uh, there are people who hold thousands of bitcoins that can say, you know, I'm I'm done with this, get rid of it all, and you know, ruin the price of it. So I, I like your mentality. Um, it, it's much, it's like a longer term view, uh, which I appreciate. You know, some of the people I have on are so focused on the day to day of things, they lose sight of the long term. Uh, so I really appreciate you coming on, being this kind of rational person, and you know, <laughs> don't talking. Look, don't, look at, don't look at the price and don't be scared. Yeah, no. yeah, you're talking about you know five, ten, fifteen, twenty years. This much longer time frame, which I appreciate a lot. Um, so I, I thank you so much for coming on. There's always one thing that I like to end with, and that is kind of the biggest tip uh, that you have. And since we were talking about you know startups and them being on the forefront of adoption. Do you think you could give us, you know, your biggest tip for those people who are working on the startups right now? Because I think a lot of interest is gone. A lot of money has fled the scene. A lot of people are starting to capitulate. So for those people out there who are kind of working at these startups, trying to come up with these use cases uh, and kind of getting their idea out to the general public, what is your biggest tip for them? So uh, I think like entrepreneurship in general, not only in the crypto space, but in general is, is pretty much the same. And, and I think the most important quality or, ca or character trait that you have to have in order to be successful as, as an entrepreneur is not to be afraid to fail. I think failure is important and you should fail a lot and fail often. And you know, you can look at this also as a cultural thing. For example, compare the West and the East. Uh, if you look, for example, at Korea, uh, at Japan, and you look at how many startups are there, and, and you don't see lots of startups out there. You see huge corporations, but you don't see startups. And the reasons that you don't see startups there is that the culture, the mentality is that failure is a problem. If you have failed once, nobody's going to hire you again. If you have failed one startup, nobody's going to give you money again. You can't raise money again. Uh, and I think this is completely wrong. And I think there is a lot of tolerance for failure, and people are you know, VCs, for example, who are investing professionally in startups, they will give money to the person who failed the most. <laughs> and, and this is a bit counterintuitive, but this is the way it works. Because if you haven't failed, you haven't learned. And it's very hard. You know, startups are very difficult. If you're trying to disrupt, you don't know what you're doing. And this is part of the point. Uh, and the people who failed, they would know how to, you know, change course and pivot and, you know, find a way around problems that nobody has even really thought about. Uh, so this is a, an important quality. So don't be afraid of it. I completely agree. You know, especially in this industry where so many people are going to fail, it's brand new. People are still trying to figure out 
if there are use cases you know is this going to be are our cryptocurrencies going to be around in the long term uh, is blockchain a solution that will be here for the long term and so I think a lot of companies are due to fail and we've already seen that you know over the past couple of years but I think mm -hmm. a lot of people are afraid to break into this industry because they are afraid to fail and I, I've been told this by you know pretty much every entrepreneur that has come on I have failed my business has failed I picked myself back up I started a new one that's why I'm here today that's why I'm successful it's happened with you you talked about your first two one being a complete <laughs> failure and the other one being you know kind of this break even uh, you wouldn't be here today you know <laughs> we wouldn't be talking today if you didn't pick yourself back up you know learn from those mistakes and start over uh, so exactly. I love I love the idea that you need to be okay with failure you need to expect that you're going to fail at some point uh, before you see that huge success. So thank you so much for those closing words. I want to apologize for being a little bit all over the place today. There's, I, I just feel like there's so much to talk about on this specific topic, uh, and that is you know, <laughs> startups, adoption, that whole thing. So I, I apologize. I feel like I'm very scatterbrained right now, and I feel like this conversation <laughs> has been a little all over the place. So I apologize for that. But I do want to thank you for coming on. I, I think there's a lot that people can learn from this episode. So again, Tal, thank you so much. Thank you, Charles, for having me. Uh, before we go, is there anything else that you want my audience to know? Um, if you're interested in building on public blockchain, go and learn about Orbs. Uh, I think Orbs is a great platform. It's decentralized and permissionless, and it's very easy to use. And I think you can build great stuff on it. Perfect. There we go. And I hope that, you know, you're okay with people reaching out to you after the fact. Uh, if they mm -hmm. are interested in any way, they can, I'm sure they can get a hold of you. Uh, if you want, we can put some links in the description with different ways on how people can get in contact with you if you're okay with that. Yeah, Twitter. Uh, Cole Tall at Twitter, K-O-L-T-A-L. Perfect. We'll, yeah. have, we'll have a link to your Twitter in the description. Uh, and again, thank you so much for coming on. Okay, thank you. <laughs> All right, that wraps up another episode. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I just want to take a quick second to remind you to leave us a review and subscribe to the show. We would greatly appreciate it if you did. And we look forward to seeing you next episode.